Hi, this is Dion Bake from Butler Mortgage. We're currently ranked the number one mortgage brokerage in Ontario and number two in Canada. And much of our success is due to the fact that we help clients acquire multiple investment properties. If you'd like to talk with a mortgage advisor who specializes in investment property, you can reach me at 888-684-8326. To learn more about what's going on in the world of investment property financing, check out episode 23 of the Breakthrough Podcast, where I discuss the topic with Robin Sandy. Breakthrough Real Estate Investing Podcast, Episode 115. If you're looking for the skills and tools to succeed in real estate investing, you've come to the right place. This show is about breaking through barriers, breaking through limiting beliefs, and breaking through to the life that you want to live through the power of real estate investing. This is the Breakthrough Real Estate Investing Podcast. And now, here are your hosts, Rob Brake and Sandy McKay. We have another exciting show. I'm really happy to have you all here. And we are again live on Facebook. We just started this and uh, people seem to like it. So we'll keep going, I guess. And uh, if you want to hear the audio version of this later on, it'll be out um, in a couple of weeks from now, depending on when you're listening to this, of course. Uh you can go over to our website, breakthroughreipodcast.ca, and there you can download any and all of our episodes. I mean, listen to all of our informative guests that we've had on in the past six years of the show. And you can pick up our free gift there as well, right, Sandy? Definitely the ultimate strategy to build wealth through real estate. And when you get that, you'll also get on our email list. You'll hear about all our live events, uh, street tours. Um, everything that's going on. You also get notified of every episode as it comes out on audio. So great way to keep in touch with us and stick, uh, you know, stick in, in line with what we're doing and learn some free stuff and great content. Yeah. The street tours have turned more virtual nowadays, at least for the time being anyways, but uh, we're still doing them. So also please go over to iTunes and leave a rating and review for us there. Five stars would always help us put out the content to a lot more people. And uh, we haven't had a review in a while. So if you are inclined, jump over there and leave us one. Um, we would greatly appreciate that. That'd be great. Um, and we do have our guest standing by. We'll get to James there in a second. What else do we got to cover, Rob? Anything else before we get into the interview? Not much, man. I've got a property closing in a couple of days, so I'm pretty pumped about that. I've just been going over my prelim drawings here and uh, trying to get the changes done that need to be done. And it's going to be really unique. We've got a, we've got a 10 bedroom student rental on one side. And then on the other side, we've got a two car garage with a two bedroom apartment above. That's going to be all legal. Um, it's interesting the way that we can do that in, in the town of Peterborough. So uh, that's exciting. And I'm going to be doing some video walkthroughs and things like that as soon as we take possession. So there we go. Cool. <laughs> and I mean, to? we both got all sorts of deals going on at any given time. I think if you want to reach out to us about anything like that or want to invest or talk about investing, obviously we're here to help. And, uh, and then we've got our, our guest here too, James, who is also here to help with that stuff. And uh, out in a different area, we're going to jump into the interview, I think. Yeah, it sounds like you're doing a lot of the same things, helping investors, and you've got a really cool uh, slogan that you guys live by at your office there. I like that. So welcome, James. Canole, right? Canole? Yeah, that's right. Uh, it's a non-silent case, so I appreciate you uh, getting the pronunciation right. That one, that one always is a, is a tricky one for most people. Yeah, well, um, yeah, we, we got told how to pronounce it before we were on with awesome. you, but because you do look at that and you always think, oh, it's just Noel. You know? Of course, yeah. yeah. Yeah, normally cases are non-silent, but it's, uh, it's a German pronunciation. And in Germany, they like to pronounce all the letters in every word. And so with the K-N-U-L-L, it's, uh, it's, that's the way to say it is the canal. Well, welcome, James. Appreciate you coming and joining us today. Awesome. Yeah, it's a pleasure to be here, guys. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, welcome. We're excited to, to share some great stuff here with the listeners and the viewers here over the next 45 minutes to an hour or so. Um, James founded Mogul Realty Group to create an environment for exceptional realtor services with an emphasis on personalized goal achievement. He's invested in real estate now for over 11 years and has been a realtor now for the past 10, specializing in investment properties. His own passion and experience as an investor really drives him to help others. He also walks a walk with a personal portfolio of over 250 doors in the Edmonton area. 
He's been awarded Realtor of the Year, top investor, and top 1% of realtors in Canada. And in his downtime, he likes to ski. He likes to hit the gym, loves dinner with friends, taking in live music venues or jamming with band buddies. And he challenges you to be your best, work hard, play hard, and live well. Uh, again, anything to add to that, uh, James? No, I mean, that, that, thanks for delivering such a awesome rendition of the bio there. Yeah, we've been, you know, I've been investing since basically right out of university. And it's just grown every year from there. I just really, really enjoy the nuances and complications of being in real estate investing. And it's such a, it's such a great industry to grow in because as soon as you think you've got it figured out, something shifts in the industry and you get to learn something new all over again. So, you know, the one constant in real estate, it seems to be is change. And I, I love how engaging it makes this industry. So at the time of this interview, we are basically the beginning of June, a couple of days in. And um, what, what are things like in Edmonton right now? Yeah, you know, that's a great question uh, in relation to the, the COVID scenario and how it's all rolled out. Um, so we're, we're experiencing mostly right now a slowdown in sales volume, um, you know, to, to go across a couple of different metrics from the landlord tenant perspective. Um, our landlord tenant laws are a little more landlord friendly than I would say you guys have it out East. So, you know, in terms of Facebook groups seeming like they're popping up where tenants are saying don't pay rent or to heck with the landlords, none of that really happened. And, you know, we had a really proactive and positive approach to landlord tenant relations, um, I know in our, our portfolio of tenants, we, we were chatting with them right away. We were talking to them about how to apply for the government supports and just making sure everybody was, was doing okay, offering them rental deferrals, coming up with payment plans, that sort of thing. And, you know, while some people are struggling and, and unable to make rental payments, the vast, vast majority of, you know, my portfolio and our clients' portfolios are doing quite well in terms of tenants being able to uh, continue to pay rent. In terms of the market, just a slowdown in activity. You know, we, we saw about a 35% reduction in sales volume in April and in May, pretty similar, a little bit lower than that. But in June, you know, I mean, boots on the ground. Um, my, my team has already removed conditions on four properties and that's three days in. So it was like a lot of, a lot, Edmonton's extremely seasonal because our winters are so intense that nobody wants to, to move in the winter if they don't absolutely have to. And therefore, in the spring, we have a really big rush of buying activity and selling activity. Um, that normally starts in April. Now it's starting up in June. So it's like our, our seasonal market cycle got delayed by two months while everybody wanted to, you know, wait and see if COVID was going to end the world or not. And, uh, and as far as like the city goes um, and closures and stuff like that, where are we at in Edmonton? Oh gosh. I mean, I, I, it's about as close to business as usual as, as you can get. I mean, they're like small businesses that were already on the cusp and struggling are not doing so well reopening. But, you know, I mean, any main restaurant or any main business, you know, our restaurants are basically open with an every other table policy. So, for example, we took a client out for a celebratory closing dinner last night and there was a lineup out the door because only half of the tables in the restaurant were available. So, you know, we sat on the patio and, you know, just like a checkerboard, every other table was full of people enjoying their drinks, enjoying the summer weather. Um, you know, you walk down the street, people are cruising around. I've, I've started working. We, we had a, you know, in our industry, it's easy to work from home. So we've just started reintroducing staff into the office. So you can see this is me working in the office today. Um, and just driving into the office this morning, it was what I would call normal Edmonton morning traffic. Um, you know, our rush hour is nothing like Toronto rush hour, but about as about as heavy as traffic can get in our little city it's if that's you know those are some of the indicators of what life is like right now if you go to a park you're walking on a trail in the river valley if you go to a golf course it's packed you know it's almost like people people saved a whole bunch of disposable income because they had nothing to spend their money on for three months being locked up at home and now everybody's really excited to get out there and have some fun because it's summer and um well people are still being cautious you know we see we see face masks, we see, we see rubber gloves or latex gloves, um, any business you go to, all the businesses are being very diligent. So any staff at any business, be it a shopping center, grocery store, um, restaurant, everybody's wearing masks, everybody's got gloves on, you know, they seat you at your table, they give you a little dab of hand sanitizer, um, but people are definitely not hiding out at home. They're, they're out and about living as close to a normal life as we can right now. Well, that's nice to hear. We here we're more or less still on lockdown, I guess you could call it that. I mean, there 
they're slowly reintroducing, you know, uh, what businesses are allowed to open, but they've been putting the, the delays on it and it just keeps getting delayed and delayed. So uh, it's nice to hear that you guys are back up and, and at it. Do you think that might have something to do with population density? Yeah. Well, I mean, you guys are pretty densely populated in Edmonton. I, I, I don't really know what the coral correlation is between the uh, extension of the emergency procedures and the actual numbers. Yeah. It's not really clear, you know? Um, so, so uh, to answer your question, I don't really know if that has much to do with it or not. Yeah. I think for us too, we had Edmonton specifically, Calgary was a little bit worse off, but Edmonton specifically had one of the lowest, if not the lowest infection rate in the country. So, you know, the general feel with the average person in the city is we're just super confident because we didn't have a very high infection rate. So, mm. you know, people are feeling like it's, it's not really out there to be worried about. And well, it's, it seems like you were a few weeks behind us in terms of getting real estate market wise, getting back to action because we had a pretty busy May here. I think you did, Rob. I think everywhere in GTA has been pretty, pretty active for a good four or five weeks at this point um, where you might be just in the last couple of weeks getting more, more active. Yeah, right? I, I mean, I would say you know, our, our office's trend matched what the market stats were. You know, we, we sold about 35% fewer houses in May than we did in 2019. So it's not dead. It, you know, it wasn't, it didn't grind to a halt, but it was less. And, um, you know, I mean, I have, I have two different clients I'm taking up for showings today. Every single realtor on my team has, you know, three to four clients a week that they're taking out for showings. We've act, I've, I've activated four listings this week. So it's hopping, you know, it's exactly what we would expect out of a spring market for a busy team like ours. Yeah, it was interesting because I almost had a reversal of 2019 uh, in 2020 where, I mean, my January, February, March were just on fire. And then, yeah. you know, everything ground to a halt for the last, not, not to a halt, but sort of a reversal, right? And it more closely resembled my January, February, March of 19, where there wasn't a whole heck of a lot going on. So yeah, uh, I'm, and, and it does seem like things are picking up again now too. So, all right, cool. Um, well, I mean, this is a real estate investing podcast. So let's start talking a little bit about uh, your investments. So how did you get started totally. in real estate investing? Yeah, I, I got started right as I was graduating university. I was talking to my dad about just what my plans were and what I intended to do over the next five years. And you know, when you're 22, you only kind of sort of know, but we, we had a chat about the fact that I was planning on staying in Edmonton. And he said, well, you know, houses in this city are so cheap that why don't you just buy a house and rent the rooms to your buddies if you're going to be living with your buddies anyways, because then at least you're building some value for yourself. So, um, you know, scraped together the cash that I needed, bought my first house with, in that, in those days, getting a 5% down mortgage was very, very easy. Um, rented out the rooms to my buddies and I was basically living for free. So the rent that I should have been paying, I started banking and, you know, another year from there, I was saved up like crazy, bought another house, rented out that room or rented out that house by the room. And then it just kind of started snowballing from there. And, uh, and you find Edmonton's a good student rental market? Well, yeah. I mean, the university of Alberta has about 50,000 students and about another 30, 35,000, um, staff. Uh, and so that's, that's a very large percentage of our population that revolves around the university. So if, if you look at a map of the city of Edmonton, um, it's almost like a town within a town where our, the, the district of the city that is appealing for students to live in, you know, it's, it's the size of a small town. It's the size of, a you know, a hundred thousand person community. So the student rental market here is fantastic because unlike, you know, like say for example, in Guelph, it's not like everybody moves to Edmonton to go to school and then goes home. Everybody stays in Edmonton because it's the biggest city in the area and it's the major employment hub. So um, it, it's great because instead of having a student renting for eight months, we actually get them for 12 months. And then in addition to that, a lot of our student rental population are, um, you know, people that live in the bedroom communities. So, you know, for you guys like, like the Hamiltons or whatever, where it's, it's a pretty darn far drive into the university. They'd rather just have their kids be able to walk to school or bike in five to 10 minutes or take a bus ride in five to 10 minutes. So again, we got lots of parents who are co-signers. We got lots of kids that just want the living out of home experience who want to be closer to school for convenience and whatnot. So, it's a, so that, that part of town's a great community for renting in um, as a landlord because very, very low vacancy, very high rent, very high demand, and the students will stick around for the 12 month period. 
And then, so that's how you started off with the, with a couple of student rentals and then um, has your model changed at all or what, where have you gone since yeah. then? Yeah, it's, I've, I've, I've evolved a couple of different times in terms of ventures that I've gotten myself into. So uh, from there, I started investing in houses with secondary suites. So kind of like an up-down duplex or a basement suite at house, as you want to call it. Picked up a nice collection of those. And along the way, I, I started learning about the joint venture concept. So I started getting a ton of properties using the joint venture concept, um, which is fabulous. And then in 2014, I decided to experiment with uh, multifamily investing. So that's when I partnered up with uh, someone that had a bit of multifamily experience and we got our first you know, full-fledged 12-suite apartment building. And then you know, that journey from 2014 to 2017, uh, I, I acquired 13 apartment buildings over that period with, with raising capital, creating partnerships and getting um, you know, joint ventures put together. And then, from there, I wanted to try my hand at development. So, you know, again, I created a new partnership and we started knocking down old houses in desirable locations and um, building brand new houses for sale. And that went pretty well. That was kind of cool. It, there's a creative element to designing new houses that are meant for luxurious accommodations and cool locations. And, uh, you know, in the last 12 months, I've started exploring commercial spaces. So um, looking at one of the things that we want to do is actually purchase a place to move our office into to have a headquarters. Um, you know, with with COVID and people working from home, it's kind of got me pumping the brakes on office space purchase right now. But that's that's kind of what the last twelve months has been about is learning learning actual like industrial slash office commercial and looking at different opportunities in that realm. Fantastic. And it sounds like you took off with that multi-unit stuff. Um, congratulations on that. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, we were. I mean, part of it was being in the right place at the right time. The cool thing about, you know, commercial properties is if you can raise a net operating income, you can refinance and pull out equity quickly. So that really allowed us to move forward at a rapid pace because we were buying at a time in Edmonton's market cycle where um, the market was appreciating, rents were increasing quickly, and it was easy to buy buildings where the rents were low and uh, increase the rents to be able to create, um, create some equity to buy, to buy more properties. So it was a period of rapid growth for myself and my partners. And it was, it was an exciting time for sure. Can we touch on that a little bit deeper? What was the, what was that? That is one of the cool things about the commercial side of it. Um, bigger multifamilies is there's quite a few more ways to raise that, uh, you know, NOI number or get the cap rates up to refinance, pull money out, that sort of thing. What were some of the strategies you've used to do that? Were you buying, are they mostly value add properties? Yeah, you know, we really had a combination of value add and just great purchasing. So um, when, when we were purchasing, it was a period of rapid rental growth. So we were buying buildings where the average rent roll was, say, $100 per door, or sorry, $1,000 per door per month in a time where we knew we could have rented them for $1,150. So we were getting a bit of a deal on the buildings in terms of what was possible because the current owners hadn't actually taken the effort to raise the rents up and therefore increase the purchase value of the building. So we got a little bit of a gap there. And then, you know, some of the buildings we bought, we decided to roll up our sleeves. So we did buy a few buildings that were really old, really rough shape, history of a bad tenant profile, and just, you know, went through and whirlwinded it, gutted the building, revamped all the suites, and re-rented at a, at a new rental rate and profile. So, you know, I, I would say those were our two main strategies, is just being in the right place at the right time in a market that was growing, and then being willing to, to do tons of renovation work as well. And then removing tenants in Alberta, what's that like? Is that, um, I know it's different than here perhaps because there's, um, I mean, rent, there is no rent control, correct? Yeah. So we're, you know, in Alberta, I would say that's part of the Alberta advantage when you're in real estate investing is number one, um, you know, if you buy a new building and you want every single tenant gone, you give 90 days notice and, uh, and they, you know, they're moving out. So that, that's, that's about it. So it's kind of cool because if you work, collaboratively with the seller you can actually have terms in the agreement where they deliver the notice so you're actually taking possession of a vacant building um, which is what we did in a couple of circumstances in terms of rent controls absolutely correct we don't we have a deregulated rental market so you can raise rent by as much as you like as long as the market will bear it now as with any deregulated market if the rent is going up and you want to raise the rent by 20 percent in one year theoretically you can but with Edmonton being a cyclical market, when the rent goes down, 
we have had years where you know it will come down 10% in one year as well. So I know that in markets like BC and Ontario where you have a rental raise restriction, the rents always just slowly creep up. They never come down. Whereas in Edmonton, they'll grow and then they'll recede and then they'll grow and then they'll recede. Hmm. So pros if you're, it's, yeah. yeah, pros and cons. Yeah. So if you're, if you're having good market timing, it's pretty exciting because you can buy a building, get it vacant, do a bit of renovations and increase the rents by two or $300 per suite without really incurring um, any negative attention from the landlord tenant board or anything like that. So we get into a lot of, we, we get into a lot yeah, a lot of the people we talk to around here, for sure, it's all about time in the market and not 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 timing the market, just time in, spending time in and building your wealth that way. Do you find timing the market is a little more important um, or how important is it there uh, locally for you? I would say timing the market's important if, for that equity piece. Um, you know, again, a lot of markets in Canada are slow and steady kind of markets where they'll they'll grow, 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 grow at a pretty predictable rate. Whereas Edmonton will have, you know, a few years of really, really strong growth and then a couple of years of kind of a little bit of negative growth and then an in-between part where it's a little bit flat. So right now we're, we're just coming out of kind of the flat phase after a little bit of uh, decline. So historically, you know, end of 12, 13, 14 and into 15, we experienced really strong growth. 15 through 17, we kind of receded a little bit and 17 to now um, it's been pretty flat. A lot, of, a lot of experts were predicting that uh, this was actually going to be the year that things started growing again, but COVID's thrown a bit of a monkey wrench in that. But to, to answer the question, you know, it's, it is really great to time the market, but nobody has a crystal ball. So it, it is important that if you're going to be doing holding property, um, you know, Edmonton's a great city for cash flow because of our cost of living index. So that's one thing that our investors from across the country gravitate to Edmonton for is that most properties in Edmonton, um, be they duplexes, houses with suites, townhouses, uh, single family detached houses, the average rent for the average house will cover all of the carrying costs compared to the purchase price of that house, which is a really nice bonus. So, you know, Edmonton is, is typically regarded as a bit of a cash flow city. And then if your timing is great and you get that equity growth, that's kind of the icing on the cake. And as being a realtor, um, helped you? Is it giving you some kind of an edge as far as being an investor goes as well? I would say, yeah. I mean, especially as time goes on and the reputation grows and our presence in the marketplace grows, people bring us a lot of opportunities first because they know that we're very plugged into the, not only the Edmonton investor community, but the Canadian investor community. So, you know, I mean, I, I get to look at a lot of deals and if one really catches my attention, I'll consider approaching it. You know, we talked about my strategy earlier, but last year I had a builder colleague of ours uh, come to me with a couple of houses that they just really needed to sell um, because they had a few too many houses in inventory and they were willing to let these go for a, a song of a deal and basically not take any profit margin because they needed to be leveraged. And, you know, it was kind of one of those things where it was just too good of a deal to say no to. So, you know, I was able to just grab a couple of houses that even though they weren't part of my investment strategy at the time, it was just too good of a deal to say no to. So, you know, it is, it is great to be able to integrate seeing those opportunities and picking ones that make a lot of sense. What about um, mindset and uh, personal development or growth, that sort of thing? How does that impact you as uh, yourself personally or as a business and as a real estate investor? Oh, I would say mindset and attitude is everything. You know, I'm a huge, huge believer in self-care, in mental health, in mindset preservation. Um, you know, when I work with myself and I work with my team, you know, it, it's, it, I'm, a, I'm a really big advocate of the fact that a lot of people can be trained on the right thing to do, but we've all had those days where even though we have a nicely written out to-do list or a couple of emails in our inbox or a project that's pretty clear on how to accomplish it, if you're just not feeling it, if you're not in a great mood, if you're burnt out, if you're feeling, if you're not feeling great, if your mindset's not in the right place, then you just don't feel like doing it. Whereas if you, the, 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 the flip side of that is if you're full of energy, you're feeling ambitious, you're feeling aligned and you're excited about moving forward, even if you don't really know what to do, a lot of people will just start charging forward with that positive energy and figure it out as they go. So from a mindset perspective, I have a lot of conversations with my team and we spend a lot of time talking about, you know, self-care routines, having that me time, doing, doing the things to get yourself in the, in the zone or in the positive headspace or 
you know, there's a bunch of different ways to say it, but for me, you, you, I find that if I'm in the right headspace, I can get more done in an hour than I can in an entire day if I'm not in the right headspace. So, you know, even just for my own personal productivity, if I'm finding myself feeling a little bit burnt out or there's a, there's an adjustment to my, to my mind space that needs to be made, I'll actually just hit the pause button, put my work aside and then focus on myself, focus on some me time to get myself back into that positive headspace. Because especially in an industry like this, where it's, it's all people, all relationships, Nobody wants to be doing business with somebody that's, you know, has a black cloud over their head or isn't enthusiastic or doesn't seem engaged, isn't present, isn't focused. So for me, it, mindset is everything. You know, I, I love that question because I, a lot of times when I'm chatting on podcasts and chatting to investors, the conversation is always about the how-to. What did you do? What were your tricks, tips, tricks, secrets, whatever? You know, I mean, the, the fact of the matter is everything can work if you work it properly. But having the inclination and having the energy to do it properly all starts with mindset and attitude. Well, you have to have the idea that you can do it before you can do it. Exactly. Um, and, and we sort of skipped over it. Uh, I meant to mention it again because I, I brought it up before we started. And uh, your, your slogan for your uh, team is actually work hard, play hard, and live well. We did say it, but I mentioned that, and I, yeah. and I really like it. Thank you. I appreciate that. Yeah, I mean, that's, that's been a huge foundational piece of my approach to life the entire way through uh, my entire career. And, you know, I mean, part of growing a business is really owning your personal brand and then building a brand that's bigger than yourself. So I really put a lot of thought into just articulating that in that way, because for me, you know, I, I love celebrating success. I like having big wins. I'm a very hardworking individual, but, you know, I, I know so many hyper ambitious people that the way they celebrate achieving a big goal is to set another goal. And then they're just chasing this ever raising bar for themselves without stopping to think like, why the heck am I doing all of this? Well, the reason we're doing it is so that we can live well. Life is for living, you know, having amazing experiences, be it family experiences, travel experiences, adventure experiences, everybody's got their thing. And for me, the, the work hard is, is ties into that play hard so that you can live life's moments. Now, it all starts with work hard. I always tell my staff, you know, the phrase is work hard, play hard, not play hard, work hard. So, you know, I, I, I like, I have a very front end loaded approach to accomplishing things. For example, as a realtor, one of your most important um, business tasks is client outreach, making phone calls, doing prospecting, chatting with previous clients, talking to new potential clients. And for every realtor, I mean, if you're for the, for the back end analytics of the business, it's, it's all about hitting a certain number of phone calls to mathematically have a certain percentage of those phone calls turn into business opportunities. So as I organize our week, we front end load it. Monday and Tuesday is when we do the bulk of our phone calls so that as the weekend approaches, you don't have that little, you know, butterflies of stress of like, oh my gosh, I didn't accomplish my key deliverables for the week. And now I'm heading into the weekend and instead of enjoying my, my life or enjoying my family, I'm stressed out about not doing what needed to be done. So that's why work hard, does come from play hard. I mean, I know it's an old phrase, but when you really think about what it means, it means bust your butt, accomplish big things. And then once you do reward yourself with that play that encompasses the concept of living well. So to tie it into real estate investing, you know, if you're, if you're actively trying to create joint venture opportunities, again, the harsh reality is, and it's not even a harsh reality. It's just a, it's a reality. Reality is not everybody's going to be ready or interested in doing business with you. You know, it's like the old sales phrase, some will, some won't. So what? So if you want to do one joint venture, if you reverse engineer it, you might have to ask a hundred people if they want to do a joint venture. So you have to systematize and make time for yourself to reach out to a hundred people and just keep asking, just keep asking, just keep asking. And so if you have a goal of, you know, as a joint venture, I want to call 25 people a week and strike up a real estate conversation. Well, if you get 20 of those 25 calls done on a Monday, the rest of your week feels really, really great. So, you know, that's how, that's what the phrase means to us. And those are just a couple of examples of how we apply it to our, you know, weekly, monthly workflow. And I always like that analogy because the one that, the one that I like to use is, you know, because a lot of people say, well, you know, I'm not doing it because I can't find a joint venture partner. Like, well, how many people did you ask? Well, I asked six people or whatever yeah. it is. Yeah. <clears throat> but uh, the way that I like to look at it is, a lot, you know, uh, is liking it to dating. Well, you're not going to stop regardless of how many no's you get until you get a yes. Right. Yep. 
so uh so yeah so you got to just keep on pushing through and eventually someone's going to see what you're doing and 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 understand the potential in that deal absolutely you know i mean when i think about my first joint venture i was i was very very young like i was in my mid-20s i had a baby face you know, it, it took a lot of work just for people to take me seriously enough to have a grown-up conversation about business as opposed to just thinking that I was this kid right out of university. So, you know, it's, it's, it's like embracing those no's and saying to yourself, like, I think I'm going to need 50 no's before I get one yes. And then every time you get a no, you just check it off and you're like, okay, I'm now 35 no's closer to my, to my yes. Great. I think I would tie that back to the realtor helping as a realtor too, because you hear a lot of no's as a realtor. I think that might help a little bit with the rejection and getting used to it. Um, yeah. I was asked about some failures. Uh, I'm sure everyone's had some failures. Any big failures that stick out for you that have helped you grow? Yeah, of course. I mean, I, I, I would say when I was building those, those luxury houses, we, we had a bit of a rough go. Um, we really were trying to push the top of the market and, create a new high bar for price point. We picked some very, very high-end locations and then built houses that were the highest of the high-end for that specific location at that, at that particular time. Um, so we, we definitely, I mean, we rolled the dice, we took a risk and we're like, okay, nothing has sold for the price that we need to sell this house for yet. And we're gonna, we're gonna see if we can, you know, push the top end of the market and sell for this price point. That, that, that experiment was unfortunately riddled with a couple of failures. And, uh, you know, the first failure was the builder we selected, um, you know, started running behind schedule and, you know, I, I, I like to, you know, take accountability for what I have a control of. Like that was, that was really my first time managing a builder who was building a house. So I did my darndest to keep them accountable, be on site, try to push the timeline, but we ran, we ran behind schedule and in Edmonton seasonal market, you want to be hitting the market in the spring with a property, not in the fall, not in the winter. And our house wasn't done until the winter. So not only did we miss our market window for optimal sale time, but we incurred several more months of carrying costs. So that was kind of disappointment number one. Disappointment number two um, was that, you know, we weren't the only ones that I, with that idea. So as we were building our property, a couple of other similar luxury homes started popping up in the same community to compete with ours. And those people were selling for a price point lower than we anticipated. So as we were trudging along, we start seeing comparables pop up that were not at the price point we wanted to hit. So, you know, that was, that was a, that was a definite struggle because by the time we hit the market, our price point wasn't achievable. We had taken on extra carrying costs and, you know, I mean, I would call the project a failure because we really didn't make much profit at all. You know, it was more of just, it was a learning experience that we invested our time into. So, you know, I, I'd say the, the learning from that was you in real estate, I don't think I've ever talked to a real estate investor who's quote unquote, won them all. You know, I mean, I've, I've had projects that haven't been profitable. You know, even in my younger years, I flipped houses and lost money because I had no idea what, what I was doing. But the way that, you know, it was a friendly reminder that in business, you know, I, I think about, and I'll tie back into the realtor side of things, but I always tell my realtors and I think about it that it's like a sports season where, you know, if you win 50 games and you lose 32 games, that's a great record. That's a winning season. You're going to make the playoffs. So as a realtor, if you write 50 deals that work out, but you write 32 deals that fall apart, that's still a great year. So, you know, as a real estate investor, it's the same way over the course of your lifetime. You know, if you do 25 deals that make you money and you do five that lose you, you lose you money. You had a winning career as a real estate investor. So, well, well, you don't want to make a habit of having deals not be profitable. You can't beat yourself up and, and quit when a deal doesn't work out the way it was supposed to. And, you know, for us, I learned a lot about home building and, and learned a lot of lessons. I would say the one thing that we did do was, you know, knowing that winter was coming and knowing that we probably weren't going to hit our price, we acted decisively. So instead of holding on for six months, hoping and praying to get a higher price than was realistic, we just decided, look, let's price it at the comparable price. Let's take our lumps. Let's sell it for what it sells for, you know, right off, right off the small loss and move on to the next project. So that takes, that takes a little bit more investor fortitude for people that are building, flipping houses, developing. If your flip hits the market and the entire market is telling you the price you hoped you would get isn't going to happen, 
it's better to take that price now and not incur two or three more months of holding costs. Um, you know, because you're going to lose money and pay maybe a couple ten thousand dollars in carrying costs. You know, save the carrying costs and just sell for what you can sell for now. That's that's that applies to building, that applies to flipping, and you know, I'm, we we run into clients all the time where they miscalculated their after repair value on their flip, and it's you know, it's it's like, do you want to add a pile of carrying costs to your expense line in addition to not selling for what you thought you were going to with your ARV? Not to mention more stress, more you know, well, sitting in all that stuff, right? Too. Absolutely. I mean, yeah, you put a price tag on stress, like you know, it, it definitely feels like a weight is lifted when you move on to the next project. And I think the, <clears throat> I love your comments there. The, you know, I think Warren Buffett's one of his quotes is never lose money or what's the once something like that. Just one rule is just never lose money. And I think in real estate, it's hard to really lose. Like if you lost five out of 30, I think you said 20, win 25, lose five. Yeah. I mean, you're not probably very hard, very, very hard to go like totally bust on those five, but in, in some other investment options, I mean, stocks or things like that, you can actually go pretty bust on, on those five that, wipe out all the profit in the 25 real estate's really, really difficult to do that. You really have to be playing in a high risk uh, area or doing something totally cowboyish and extreme to, to do that. I would say. Uh, I would completely agree with that. You know, when I, when I say lose, I mean, you know, in stocks, you can invest a hundred thousand dollars and walk away with nothing. Whereas in real estate, you can invest a hundred thousand dollars and then be holding on to a house that's maybe worth a little bit less than a hundred thousand dollars for a couple of years until the market comes back. So, you know, real estate, it's usually you end up not making as much money as you hope to, as opposed to losing your shirt, which can happen in the securities market for sure. And I think it's hard to look at it objectively when it's actually happening that, you know, um, that a deal is going south, but it does happen and we all get through it. And, and then you do get to look back on it as a learning experience, right? Something yeah. that, uh, something that, that isn't as bad in retrospect. Um, like you say, with the, with the, with the, you know, if you're winning the day or winning the year, then, then it's good. Yeah. Well, and, you know, I mean, falling or face planting or failing is never fun in the moment, but when you pick yourself and dust, pick yourself up and dust yourself off, you're, you know, you, you realize the, the gift in the learning and it's never as bad in retrospect as, as it is in the exact moment. So now we talked about working hard and playing hard. You have several companies and you have a mentorship program that you run. Um, how do you get that balance? You know, I'm a, I'm a big believer in surrounding myself with incredible people. Um, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm not a superhero. I can't be in multiple places at once. I only have so many hours in a day, just like everybody else. And so, you know, for me, part, part of being successful is identifying people that I can work well with, trust, and create win-win scenarios with. So, you know, on the real estate team, I've got, you know, I've got an amazing office manager. I've got an amazing sales manager. I've trained and empowered them on, you know, how to work with the team. Um, you know, on the real estate side, we've got a property manager. I'm not the one collecting rents and, and handling tenants, uh, tenant comments and concerns. So, you know, those are just two examples of how you have to, if you, if you want to grow bigger than yourself, you have to enlist the help of people that are in addition to yourself. And that's, that's I would say, probably one of the harder things to do as, a, as an entrepreneur because, you know, as you, like at a lot of real estate investors, we start as solopreneurs or sometimes, you know, husband-wife team or a couple of buddies or whatever. And you can't scale one person. You can't scale two people. So you hit this wall where, You've always done things yourself. You've done them your way and you've been in complete control of every single piece of your business. And then you have to do that scary leap of faith where all of this stuff, you have to trust somebody else to do some of that stuff. And so, you know, that's, that's probably one of the biggest milestones in my, uh, in my career as a real estate investor and as a realtor is just taking that leap of faith, delegating, trusting, and then, you know, empowering people to do some of the things on my behalf to help them, to help them grow and to help me grow. Yeah. No one cares about our stuff like we do. So it is very okay. hard to, yeah. to trust that um, out to somebody else. But yeah. So if you want to make an exponential leap, that would be probably your biggest tip. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, you know, when you, if you're, if you're a real estate investor right now or a realtor and you're, you're up at six grinding it out 
and um, you know you're still up at eleven o'clock midnight doing stuff. Uh, there's there's definitely a part of North American business culture that respects the grind and respects the hustle, um, and I I agree with that to a point. You do have to work hard, but if that's completely consuming your life, that's that that could be a an indicator that it's time to enlist some help. It's time to grow past yourself. It's time to delegate because you know you life's for living. If all you're doing is morning, noon, and night, and then late at night working real estate, real estate, real estate, like I love real estate, but you know, a balanced life is, is a happy life from my perspective. And, and it's very important when you think about it in the, in the way that like, let's say you are doing that grind, you know, you get up early, you start looking for your next um, investment. Let's say, you know, you're looking for a multiplex and then you are taking care of all of your um, property management and any maintenance issues and all of that stuff starts flooding into your phone. That can take like that can start to eat up time like you wouldn't believe you would think that you would be able to handle these things, but then, you know, you got to respond to the tenant and say, yeah, um, okay, I'll, I'll look into that. And then you got to get somebody to look into it. And then you've got to co- coordinate the two of them to get together and look after it. Like, um, and then that's just one thing. And then they flood in like, you know, one after the other, and that can easily take you away from your task of moving forward. So yeah, that's a great tip. I like it. Yeah, Rob, I got to say that is an incredible business insight just in terms of what the power of the mind can do. I find that you can only switch tasks so many times in a day before your mental bandwidth starts to, to dry up. Like you, you have, you know, just like if you're running in a marathon or working out at the gym, your brain's, you know, kind of a muscle just like every other part of your body and it will run out of energy at some point. And if you're constantly skipping between tasks, here's this, here's that, my attention's here, my attention's there. The more you get pulled around in the day, um, I find the faster, the faster you tend to run out of mental energy for the day. And, you know, those, those little bits of communication that somebody else can screen for you. So in this example, the property management conversations, um, the better, because it frees up your mental bandwidth to focus on, on the big tasks that really help you get, you know, help, help you get closer to your big goals. What did you do as an investor, um, first, like what were some of the initial first leverage pieces that you added in, um, or what would you recommend? Yeah. So as an investor specifically, um, the first, the first leverage piece I added in was uh, a handyman. So I still was managing tenant communications. Uh, I was still placing tenants, uh, collecting rents, et cetera, et cetera, doing move in, move outs. But in terms of just the fix it stuff, cause I did, I did buy quite a few older properties at first. Um, I started getting a handyman on board. So if somebody, you know, name it leaky, this, creaky that, broken this, replace that. I would, I would, the tenant would call me, talk to me about what they, what they had going on. I would send the handyman to site, they would do it and they would invoice me. So, you know, I, I already knew that I wasn't particularly good at Mr. Fix-It work. I didn't particularly enjoy it. And so that was my first piece of, of delegating and outsourcing so that I, I stuck in my lane, which was just customer service, communication, um, and, you know, kind of organization. And then the second piece was a full-blown property manager to actually manage the tenants on my behalf. Now that's actually evolved. I have a property manager that manages the vast majority of my properties, but I have a few, what I call legacy tenants. So people that have been with me three, four, five years who have no intention of leaving. Um, I've got a great relationship with my property manager where I let them know, like, I'm just going to manage those myself because, you know, for the 10% our 10% property management in our market, for the, for the 10% cost of property management, I, I can deposit a check once a, once a month. And then, you know, a lot of those tenants, I only really need to talk to them once a quarter to ask them if there's a maintenance request. So I, I do a bit of a hybridized model on a couple of my properties that have the longest, the long-term tenants. But, you know, delegation piece number two was for sure a property manager. Now, I would say, you know, to build on that thought process, if, I mean, I'm a realtor, so I'm, I'm in a bit of a different scenario, but if, if I was just a straight up investor, the last piece that I would want to delegate is the first level of property screening. So I would want a realtor that understood my criteria down pat and only sent me deals that 100% checked every single one of my boxes. So that instead of having to like, you know, some people are just like real estate enthusiasts and they'll be on realtor.ca at 11 at night, click, 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 clicking through all the new deals that have come up and then getting excited and pumping them into their spreadsheet and, 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 and. Um, 
you know, that's super fun when it's new and you're getting good at it, but good business is boring and it's systematized and it frees up more of your time, in my opinion, to do more of your lifestyle. So the last piece of delegation I would do is just have a realtor that understands my criteria down cold. And then, you know, once, once in a while, a property that checks every box shows up so that I'm not spending all of those precious hours just obsessively sifting through MLS or, you know, Kijiji or Craigslist or whatever, looking for those deals. Makes sense to me. I agree. Uh, future, where's your business going in the future? What are you working on now and how's that evolving? What are you up to? Yeah, that's, that's an awesome question. So um, we've really, uh, we've really dialed in our team model here in, in Edmonton. Um, the business has been very successful with lots of great people. And so we're now working on expansion. So uh, we actually have four realtors in Vancouver, BC, who have already signed up to be on our team. Um, again, with the art of delegation, one of those realtors is experienced and is stepping in as the, as the sales manager for that team so that I can mentor them as a sales manager. And then a lot of those one-to-one touch points with the other realtors on the team can happen with that person. So uh, by January, I'm going to be spending more of my time in Vancouver, helping that team get really, really up and running. I've got amazing people in the Edmonton team who are going to be kind of the general manager and sales manager of the team here in Edmonton. And then, you know, once, once that Edmonton team is really established, we're going to start eyeing up other markets. So maybe it'll be Kelowna, maybe it'll be Victoria, but you know, I'm very Western Canadian biased just because, you know, nothing's more than an hour flight away. Uh, so over the next five years on the realtor side, it's just going to be taking our, taking our models, taking our culture and sharing it with more realtors and more markets. Fantastic. I love that. Congratulations. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. It's very exciting. Okay. Last question before we, uh, before we find out how people can get in touch with you is, you know, what would be your biggest piece of advice that you can give to people just starting out in real estate investing? You know, honestly, my biggest piece of advice would be one of the oldest pieces of advice, which is the top three criteria that you should be mindful of, in my opinion, are location, location, location. You know, I've, I, I have about 10 years of experience now, and I can say with the utmost confidence that I have had incredibly nice properties in incredibly crummy locations that have been more difficult, more challenging, and less profitable than run-down difficult properties in A-plus locations. So, you know, I, I would say that if you're flipping, it's easier to sell a house in a location everybody wants to live in when you're coming out at the other end of it. If you're renting, people will make more of an exception on the quality of the house to live in a location that's safe, trendy, and desirable than they will to get a nicer, newer house, but in a really undesirable location. So, you know, every, every major success and every major challenge I've had in real estate in some part or another um, can be definitely tied to the location of that property. That's, that's a common thread and a common trend that I've, I've seen in every single step I've taken along the way. Awesome. Yeah, there's a lot and, of hidden costs and stuff, right? In that bad location, a lot of hidden really things you'd never think of that, like absolutely. you said, um, like a tenant's going to be, they would care a lot less about little things that they would, they would definitely care about in a worse location, right? There's so many absolutely. hidden things. Oh man, if I, to put it bluntly, you know, a rickety house in a great location has character. A rickety house in a bad location will attract, you know, crackheads. Good, good point. Yeah, that's very true. And it could be the exact same house. Yeah, it just depends on where you put it. Exact same house, carbon copy. Yeah. <laughs> uh, now you you uh, you help investors uh, mostly with, I guess, second suites and uh, buy, fix, refinance, and rent. Is that what you do? I would say that's a pretty big chunk of our business line. Um, you know, part of the reason for that is that in Edmonton, because we haven't had a lot of market growth in the last three to five years, especially, um, you know, investors are resourceful and they're ambitious and they want to roll up their sleeves. So if the market isn't, a, isn't appreciating, gosh darn it, we're making our own appreciation, which is why that Burr method or the flip to yourself method or the, you know, buy it, refinance it to yourself after renovation method has become so popular because people do want to create equity in the purchase. And so if the market isn't producing that equity, you can produce it yourself by doing those renovations. So that, that is a very popular model for a lot of investors in Edmonton to create a bit of additional equity. Um, but you know what, if, if you can make money doing it in residential real estate, we've got an expert on our team and we've got experience with it. So flipping, uh, flip to yourself, multifamily investing, 
um, buy and holds, new properties. Some people just like that turnkey new feel. Some people want something that they can add some value to. And everything from you know condos, duplexes, fourplexes. There's a, there's a wide variety of styles of investing that will work in the Edmonton market. And part of our process is just doing a consultation to figure out you know, what a client's goals are, what their risk tolerance is, what their timeline is, what their time availability is, and then make recommendations on the property that actually fits their life criteria. Because um, sometimes people will come to us and say, oh, I want to flip the house. And then we have a half hour conversation. And I, you know, by the time that conversation's over, they don't have the capital. They don't have the, they don't have the risk tolerance. They don't have the available time. And so a flip might not actually be a great fit for them, but because they saw it on Home and Garden TV, that's how they started the conversation. So, you know, to break, to bring it full circle back to that live well, I'll ask that person a lot of questions about their life and about their lifestyle and about their life goals, and then reverse engineer what type of investment property actually makes the most sense for them based on what they see for themselves in their life. Very good. And, uh, and then how can people get in touch with you to reach out for one of these consultations? I would say the two easiest ways to get in touch with us would be our website, which is www.mogulrg.com. That's mogulrg.com. And we are super duper active on social media. So if you look me up, James Cannell, uh, K-N-U-L-L, or you look up the Mogul Realty Group on Facebook, um, tune in, follow us. We, you know, we love our life, the lifestyle component of our brand. So part of what we put out is real estate specific stuff and tips for investors. We do regular um, weekly interviews with different investors and different realtors on the team to talk about the market investment strategies. But we also have a lot of fun too. So if you like memes and you like, you know, vlogs and you like lifestyle content, we got a lot of that stuff too. So it's a really nice balance of, of real estate and lifestyle and uh, you know, follow us and come check us out. That's awesome. Okay. Um, and all of James's contact info is going to be in the show notes for this episode. So please feel free to reach out to him. If you missed uh, writing it down while he was talking, you can just go into the show notes and it'll all be there for you. So it's going to be pretty easy for you to get in touch with him. And thanks a lot. I really appreciate all of this stuff that you've shared with us today. Yeah, this was a great experience. Uh, I can tell you guys are doing an awesome job out in the Toronto area. So it's just great to have a little East meets West and to collaborate with investors from across the country. So it's been a thrill. I really appreciate the time and it's been enjoyable being on the podcast. So I look forward to collaborating with you guys more in the future. Thanks very much. Sandy, how can people get in touch with you? Yeah. And you know, great content. I think this is a great episode. We'll look forward to hearing some feedback from everyone too. Uh, for me, 289-389-6846 or Sandy at mckayrealtynetwork.com. And you can reach me at rob at mrbreakthrough.ca. All right. Thanks, everybody, for watching, listening, however you've uh, indulged in this interview. And we'll see you next time.